want to tell you this. This is a statement that I want to start with. I don't know if it's going to make it on the screen or not because I, unfortunately, for you guys really need it sometimes to really bless Kristen and the crew back there because sometimes people like me turn in notes like 15 minutes before worship starts and she has to enter all these things and uh, somehow keep them in order. This is what I want to say. As Christians, some of our greatest fears arise when we are led to believe facts, quote-unquote, which directly challenge the truth we know. I'll say that again. As Christians, some of our greatest fears arise when we are led to believe, quote, facts, unquote, which directly challenge the truth, all caps if you want, that we know. Paul put it this way. In Hebrews 11, very familiar scripture. I'm going to just read this from the NIV. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In verse 6, he says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. That's my granddaughter. Because she's just shouting, The word is true. Because anyone who comes to him must believe. See? must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly, that means with everything you've got, earnestly seek Him. It's God's Word. Now, we're going to cover three situations. One, there's a great strength in the Scriptures when you're able to go in order. It's called expositional preaching. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. We're going to be in Mark 4 and Mark 5. The Gospel of Mark is probably the first gospel committed to any written form and transmitted throughout the churches in the first century. And it is the most brief gospel there, and the most powerful word that shows up throughout the gospel is immediately. Mark didn't like to mess around. He didn't like a lot of words. He just got down to it, and it's a powerful gospel. So we're going to be in Mark 4 and Mark 5, and he's describing Jesus, and he is with the disciples and there are three situations we're going to cover when we get to this. One is personal danger. How many of you guys have ever been in personal danger before? Raise your hand, maybe both of them. And where fear was the first thing that hit you, which is normal. It's not abnormal to experience fear as a believer. The question is how you deal with it. The second thing we have is we have a sick child. Later, turns up that it's a dead child. There is a parent desperate for a miracle. And the third situation is we have someone with a personal, chronic, that means it keeps going and going and going, and it's not stopping. It's not going away. She has a chronic, incurable disease. Three situations that some of you in this room have already faced, some of you are facing right now, and many of us will face in the future. All of them were met in the Scriptures with faith. And it changed things. And some of these didn't happen right away. Some of these had every kind of challenge you can think of. So we're going to get into that. I'm going to begin in Mark chapter 4. As you guys probably know, when the Scriptures were originally written, there were no verses or chapters. Those were added later by a scholarly monk in the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So, actually, this is a continuous story, so there's no division, really, between Mark 4 and Mark 5. 
These things happen. You get your chronology sometimes from the Scriptures, and that's what we have. So we begin in Mark 4. You can study it later. It's Mark 4, uh, verses 35 through 39. There's been a full day of ministry. And we'll I'll mention uh, a little bit later exactly everything that happened that day. But it's been a long day of ministry. Jesus took the disciples in several boats to cross the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is an inland sea, but there is a, um, a high wind called a circulodon that actually exists to this day. And it's a rare freak wind. And when it hits, it comes in with such power. It's like being at sea in a hurricane. And it would swamp boats. It would destroy everything in its path. This thing was a powerful wind that would whip up ocean-like waves in an inland sea or a large lake, which is what the Sea of Galilee really was, was a lake. But when this thing hits, it usually destroys boats that it's in its way. And uh, basically, as this was happening, Jesus had in at least probably three boats, but we know more than one. Uh, most of these guys had experienced as professional, lifelong fishermen, and they were scared. These men were afraid, and they were professional fishermen. They made their living on boats on that sea. So they were afraid. Uh, so the high winds, the waves come, the boats are filling up. They can't bail fast enough. Jesus is in the back, asleep at peace. And they do what you and I do. They woke him up and said, don't you care? Hey, we're dying here. And so Jesus gets up, rebukes the sea and the wind, and basically says, shut up, be still. And it's over just like that. The wind stops. The waves die down. They have a calm sea. And it was made worse in a way because it was dark. It was at night. So these guys felt helpless. Now, I want to quote to you from Mark 4, 40. New American Standard, what Jesus said to them. He said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Several things had happened that set this up. Why would Jesus talk that way? The day before, they saw the healing of the man with a withered hand. Remember, they're at church, basically. They're in synagogue. And Jesus commanded a man with a withered hand to stand and healed him as a Sabbath day, got all the religious types ticked off. They started plotting at that moment how they would kill Jesus and get rid of him because he was a standing denial of their supposed power. I mean, he healed a guy. This withered hand was a shriveled hand. We would say a polio would hit it, and it had shrunk to a fraction of what it should be. And Jesus healed it as it was held out there right in front of the people's eyes. They saw that miracle. They also heard a whole day of kingdom teaching, one story after another about what the kingdom was. And it included something like the parable of the sower and many other things. They were also told by Jesus that they had already been given the mystery of the kingdom. All these powerful things happened. Then Jesus explained what the, the sower parable meant, and he told them about mustard seed faith. So here at, at the end of that time, it was dark. That's when Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side. They go through all this stuff after seeing miracles and actually having uh, quite a bit of time go by where they saw those miracles happen. Jesus says, and you still can't believe? That should tell us something. You can hear a lot. You can see a lot, but that doesn't mean 
that you've got it, that you have faith. And that's why Jesus was doing something He's still doing today. He was teaching them faith daily in normal life, not in a classroom. He had them practice it. He was forever getting, giving them challenges and having them do things that they weren't necessarily equipped, tra trained, or skilled at doing. And they failed a lot. And in those teachable moments, he taught them about faith. And that's what we're seeing here. That should give you and I a lot of hope. Sometimes the people that have the most training have the least faith. Does that mean we shouldn't get training? Absolutely not. I'll tell you why they had the most training and probably have the least faith, because the day would come when they would have to teach the church about the kingdom of God. They had to have a grounding in Scriptures. That's why it's good to study Scriptures, and not everyone does well in it. Some people, their faith gets so weak while they study and they get a lot of knowledge, they quit too soon. What happened with the disciples is once the Holy Spirit came and endued them with power from then, then they could take these scriptures and teach them with authority. So the same guys that were afraid all of a sudden show up at the gate beautiful speaking to a man that says, hey, we don't have any money, but what we do have we'll give you. Stand up and walk, and bam, he's healed just like that. They began to walk in supernatural faith, but first they failed a lot. They had to walk it out step by step. They had to learn what faith meant. And we have started on a three-tier thing where we can learn more about faith today. We're not going to cover everything. We're just going to hit these basic things. We're in the same boat today. When we find ourselves surrounded by storms of violence, as the service started, the flash went out that three officers, they believe, have been killed in Baton Rouge. Fresh violence. I don't know the details. But anyway, that's just a symptom. We saw what happened in previous days, as Pastor Devin said. There's plenty of opportunity for us to react wrongly, for us to, first of all, operate in fear. Scriptures tell us that fear has torment, but love casts out all fear. Also, we have the opportunity to react in anger and start blaming. That's human nature. We like to blame somebody. Well, those so-and-so, those blah, 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 blah. And whatever is different from us, we label as wrong. What would be the reaction of Jesus? Well, he laid down his life for a bunch of people like that, you and me. He's calling us to follow him, to follow his footsteps. In three Gospels, we're told, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which is an instrument good for only one thing, dying, and follow me. That's the call to follow Jesus. That's the call of a Christian. It's not come sit in a pew, get your blessings, and go on your way. It's lay down your life, don't pick it up again. Lay down your life, pick up your cross, and live a life following in the footsteps of Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Not just wearing the band, what would Jesus do, but actually doing what Jesus did, which is laying down your life for people that aren't always together, you know, lovely. They're not perfect. They don't look like you, dress like you, eat the same food you do. They don't have the nice taste you do. Any taste I have, I thank my wife for it. Otherwise, I'd be up here in jeans and a T-shirt or overalls. Hallelujah. Now, the second thing we run into is 
Someone who's believing for a healing. How many of you ever needed to believe for a healing in your family? Someone else, not just yourself, but someone else. Someone believing for a healing for someone else. As a parent, have you ever believed for healing for your child? Did you feel a sense of desperation? I'm thankful for doctors. I I strongly believe that medicine is a gift from God. That medical knowledge and science, I do not fear science, I embrace science. There's stuff I don't understand sometimes, but I embrace science as a gift from God. I just know truth trumps facts every day. Usually facts that are in disagreement with truth are incomplete facts. Once all the facts come in, voila, we suddenly discover we just didn't have all the information at hand. Okay, that's a whole other day. Believing for a healing. This was a temple official named Jairus. And temple official means he was one of the guys that are sometimes labeled bad guys. He was probably from the Pharisee or the Sadducee class. But whatever else happened, this man was a believer because he had heard about Jesus. His daughter was very, very ill. He left the synagogue. How many of you guys know what a synagogue is? You know what a synagogue is, right? It's a Jewish house of worship. Anyway, he left there to come find Jesus in the middle of this crowd. And he does something that I want you to hear. And so he actually falls on his feet. Now, when you're a synagogue official, you don't normally fall on your feet in front of people, especially someone that's not officially approved by the in crowd. But he did because he recognized something about Jesus. There is power in this guy. And he had heard about the miracles. And the scriptures say in Mark 5, 23, it says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Basically, the King James, I think, says entreated her. Um, it's a very strong word. This guy basically was begging Jesus. This wasn't some, you know, highfalutin formal request. This guy, it was in his guts. He said, come save my daughter's life. And Jesus immediately agreed, and he starts walking with him back to the synagogue and where he lives nearby to deal with that situation. It pleases God when you seek him. Even if you don't have all the facts in hand, even if you don't feel uh, fully equipped, just go to the Lord. Give him what you've got. If you're a new believer and you don't have a lot of Scripture in memory or you don't know where where even to find it in the book, take what you've got and talk to the Lord. He doesn't play head games with us. He understands you where you're at. He knows your heart. That's why elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus made a point while he was giving correction. He told the story. Actually, he pointed out what was taking place. He said, you know, there's a sinner there that's saying, God, forgive me, crying out with all of his heart. And then next to him was a Pharisee doing the high holy roller deal, you know. Oh, God, I'm thankful that I'm so good and I'm so worthy and I'm so right on. And uh, I'm glad that I'm not like that sorry sucker over there. Religious stink to the max. And you know who Jesus praised, the one who was direct to the point and straight from the heart. So whatever you've got, take it to God. That pleases Him when you seek Him. At whatever level you're at, just take what you've got and give to Him. 
Just seek him. Ask him. Don't worry about being perfect in how you phrase it. Just get it out from heart to heart. And he honors that. Now, what really makes it powerful, because need alone doesn't move the Lord. It's need plus faith. Remember, Jesus says, talked about the parable of the mustard seed. It doesn't take much faith. Just take what you have and lay it at his feet. God is the healer. We don't work it up. If it's going to come, it will come from him. Now, the thing we do work on is our believing, and there's ways to do that. So, Jesus is on his way to do this, and then there is what I consider to be a divine interruption this guy doesn't know it. He starts in faith, but he's going to need what I call the second lap of faith. Some of you in this room, as we get into this, you're going to discover that you start well, you have faith, and then comes the bad news, and you get hit, and it knocks you on your rear. I'm really good. I, I know what it's like to be knocked on my rear. I have a pad back there, man. It's well-worn. I have scars. Uh, thick stuff. I'm just really good at getting back up after falling. God is so gracious. A good man falls seven times. The Lord will pick him up. The Lord picks us up. Anyway, this guy is going to discover that this interruption is for a purpose. But imagine this man. He's finally gotten the attention of Jesus. He's in a big crowd. And we know it's a big crowd because of what happens next. It was a massive crowd. And they were pressing Jesus kind of like a mob scene. He's finally got his attention. He's gotten the crowd moving. Jesus is going to his house. His daughter's got a chance. And then an interruption comes. And that's what we're going to go to next. And I'm going to describe it to you. This is Mark 5, verses 25 through 34. There's a woman who's been suffering from chronic bleeding, hemorrhaging, for 12 years, not 12 months, not 12 days, 12 years years non-stop. And in Jewish society, you did that, you are permanently, I mean, if, you're, if it's continuous, you're unclean. During the menstrual cycle, that sort of thing, a woman was considered unclean and was not allowed, for instance, to go to synagogue meetings or do anything like that during that time period. She was dealing with a hemorrhage situation for 12 years. And she went to doctor after doctor in that day and age. And they didn't help her, and some of the supposed cures she went through, the Scriptures say she suffered at their hands. That means it wasn't a pleasant doctor's visit. And for years and years she'd done that. She spent everything she had. Her options were up. She had zero options. It was it. She was going to have to live a life like that. She had lots of facts stacked up in her portfolio. She had facts from doctors that said no hope. She had 12 years of experience that said this is not working. I have no hope. She had the sorrow in her own life. She had the constant comments of people around her, people who were friends and people who were enemies, all saying the same thing. You're a loser. This thing is terrible. Get away from me. You're unclean. She had lots of facts but she found somebody, she heard news about someone who was truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So she finally found truth in a person. But she had lots of facts that said this is a joke. Just like you and I sometimes have facts, and we're dealing with a 
personal illness in our lives. She was desperate for a healing in her physical body. And everything seemed to be stacked against this desperate hope. In Mark 5, 27, the Scriptures say, After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind Him and touched His cloak. He had an outer garment that was real long and went almost to the ground. Touched His cloak, for she thought, they tell us what she's thinking, if I just touch His garments, I will get well. You realize that's a faith statement? She had fixed her faith in Jesus. She believed that He was so powerful. And see, faith is everything with the Lord. He's looking for somebody to just trust Him, someone that will lean on what He says, as if He never told a lie in His lifetime, as if He actually meant what He said. She's look, he, she actually dared to believe Him. And... Immediately, she felt in her body something changed. She knew that she knew she was well. What shocked her is Jesus stopped walking and the whole crowd stopped. I mean, imagine you're a big crowd. Everybody's packed shoulder to shoulder, nose to nose. They're trying to get close to Jesus. And so you're all kind of in lockstep. You ever been in a big crowd in a small hallway? Okay, one person stops. What happens? Usually they all go, boo, 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 and they all fall down, especially in the school hallway. That's half the fun. Everybody goes down, big old mess, legs everywhere. Well, they had a big crowd. He stops it. I mean, the whole party stops. She's embarrassed. She shrinks back. And Jesus, in verse 30, says, Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? There's a lot you can learn from this. I won't go into it too heavily, but I will say the power of Jesus is available at all times. He never runs out of power. He never has a power failure. His ability to heal is the same this very moment as it was in the moment this happened. I mean, you have to get that down. The power of Jesus is available at all times, and he keeps track. He knows when someone makes a draw on the account. It's not like it weakens him. He's always interested because that means somebody had the key to unlock the door. And the key is faith. And of course, she's embarrassed. She does come forward. She tells what happened. And Jesus says this to her in verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He had to say that because her peace was gone because she was feeling guilty. And Jesus calmed that and said, No, you've done a good thing here. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Now, there are times, guys, where it won't be your faith that makes you well. It's the faith of someone else who's carrying you by their faith. Many of you in this room are alive because your grandmothers, your mothers, or your fathers prayed for you, kept you alive through all kinds of crazy stuff. We know that. And some of you are healed because of the prayers of others when you were just too tired and too sick to pray for yourself. That's why the Scriptures tell us to carry one another's burdens. That's why as a church family, we need to function as a family. If someone is dealing with a disease or a problem in their life, we're to be there for them, pray with them, 
take the stand of faith on their behalf. Fast and pray if necessary, but not let them go through that cancer bout or that difficulty with another disease alone. No one in this body should have to go through a physical challenge alone, ever. There's strength in numbers. There's power. In fact, the Scriptures tell us elsewhere that where two or three are gathered together in my name, and if they pray and believe as touching any one thing, He promises He'll be there in the midst of them and that He'll grant them what they ask for. There's power here. We need to be a people of faith. And it's not just for our needs. Sometimes it's for other things. Okay. So this happens. And look at verse 35. We're going to read this. Very next verse after he talks to this lady. The very next verse, the next breath, it says, While he was still speaking, the words echo, Healed of your affliction. He's looking down as it happens. While he is still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? You're going to get whispers like that, especially if you're in a situation in your life where you need the second lap of faith. Just as you've gotten your faith, you're believing for something, you get a good report, and then you get a bad report that's twice as bad. You know, it's... Life goes in waves. It doesn't go straight. It goes in waves. And so you have a good day, you have a bad day. If you guys are even fighting a disease, you guys know this. Some of you who are cancer survivors, you know that before you got the final good news, you probably went through several rounds of bad news. Well, you did pretty good, but I'm sorry the scans came back and we've got some nodes that still have some cancer in them. We're going to have to go through another round of chemo. I mean, you're always going to get something that seems to slap you down. That means that you're going to have to go to the second lap of faith. And the good news is that Jesus knows that, and he makes provision. That's why even he was, as he was talking to a woman who finally got what she had been looking for for 12 years, he's already looking at this man, this father, who is desperately trying to save the life of his little girl. He had already humbled himself. He was a man of power. He was a man with a title and authority. He had already fallen on his feet in the dust to ask this healer to come to his house. Then his servants come. I'm talking about his servants come to tell him, uh, she's already dead, don't bother. Because who in the world asks for prayer for somebody who's dead? This guy needed now. It went from a healing miracle to a miracle. You know, in, in the Scriptures, healings can happen over time. If you come, you can receive a healing, and you'll see a gradual changes as God brings that healing. But when it happens instantaneously, it's classified as a miracle because it goes beyond the natural laws. It goes beyond the laws of your ability, of the, your body's ability to heal itself. And so he went from just needing a major healing for an impossible situation to an absolutely impossible situation, raising his daughter from the dead. And this is what Jesus had to say to him. This is the scripture I quoted in the beginning. And I'm going to add uh, something there from the Amplified Bible, which helps us sometimes in some situations to understand some of the meanings from the original languages used. And he says, Do not be afraid any longer. Only keep on believing. 
He had started in belief. He had some faith. He's like you and me. He does pretty well and then and he does okay and then gets bad news and knocks him down. He's human. You're human. In your faith walk, you're going to fall down. You're going to fail sometimes. Let Jesus pick you back up. He does not play head games with us. Now, he will stretch us. He'll ask us questions to help us go find answers. He'll do things like that. But he never, by playing head games, I'm saying he doesn't do it for his amusement. Whatever he does for us is for our good, our strengthening, and for his purposes. This man had reached the bottom of hope. Do not be afraid any longer. Only keep on believing. We have a little bit more to learn from this. And I'll tell you a little story first of, of what happened. And at that point, Jesus separates the three disciples. He's just appointed 12 disciples. Those guys that he said... Are you still not believing? He had just appointed those 12. And the other two boats had the rest of the disciples. It could be up to 70. Who knows? But he had just pulled the 12 out, and those 12 had already failed the test of faith in the, in the sea. So he pulls out the top three, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them with him along with this guy and the servants. They go back to this guy's house. He has a bunch of professional whiners there. In the Middle East, they hire mourners. Uh, they still do to a certain extent. And they cry and they weep, and it's part of the tradition and the procession of showing honor to the deceased. So they had some professional mourners, whiners there. And they were really screaming up a storm. And uh, Jesus comes up and said, what's all the commotion? See, when, you're, when you are life and you walk up in a scene of death, to you it's all nonsense. What's all the commotion? And they said, well, this girl's died. Jesus said, she, she's not died, she's just sleeping. See, the God of eternity sees death as sleeping, perhaps. I'm talking about in this earthly realm. Because that girl's never died. In the power of God, she's fully alive. He's not limited by time. And they laugh at him. Jesus did what every wise person does, a Christian who's going to pray for someone to be healed. He removes the doubt and unbelief from the room. You can't always do that, but in this situation, he did. He sent those people out of the room and only allowed the parents to join him and the three disciples in that room. And Jesus did not pray. He commanded. When you are life itself, you do not pray. You do not ask. You command. And what the next verse says, Mark 5, verses 41 through 42, taking the child by the hand, he grabbed the hand of this dead girl, and he speaks to her. Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. King James says, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. That's, that's uh, Mark's immediately showing up. He's trying to get to you the fact that this was not a uh, calm drama in a painting scenario. These people were freaking out. Because Jesus had spoken life into death. He brought hope in a hopeless situation. He always does. He always does. The first time I prayed for someone as an ordained minister, I had been ordained probably two months 
you know, ordained, meaning somebody prays for you and sets you aside for the ministry of the gospel. And I was very green and very new at that particular type. I'd been in the ministry since I was a teenager. By that time, I was 30-something. Julie and I were still newlyweds. I was a, the brand-new uh, associate pastor, TV director or something for a church in Fort Smith. And so I got my first hospital call. And I go up there by myself. And I, I, you guys, I grew up in Old Pentecost. In Old Pentecost, we, we used to, uh, we believed in healing, but we believed that by suffering for Jesus... And I still love my roots, but this is one of the weaknesses, that as, as we suffered, we gave God glory. You know, if you had to push your car to church, you were holier than if you could actually drive it. You know, so anyway, uh, and when I prayed for people, I was, spent most of my time in the drive to the hospital. It was in Fort Smith. On the drive to the hospital, I spent most of my time thinking of excuses I was going to tell them when this person wasn't healed. Literally, that's exactly what I was doing because I did not expect results when I prayed. Yeah, I was a great man of faith and power for the hour. I was the right person to call, right? Not. Anyway, so I go up there, and I go in this room, and this lady is in a diabetic coma, and it's a serious diabetic coma. She's so deep in it, they don't think she's coming out. If she were uh, in the Catholic faith, they would have called for the last rites. She was, they were just waiting for her to die, and her son, who was a teenager, was right beside her, and he was angry. Anybody that came in the room was the object of his anger, and I understood. He did not want me in the room, didn't want me to pray for his mother, and I didn't want to pray for it either. But I knew I was supposed to, and I had done due diligence. I had read some of the scriptures about faith. I grew up in the church, but that didn't mean you have faith. I was learning this. The Holy Spirit was at work in me. So you know what? I gently, some, I don't even remember how I got him out. I encouraged him to go get a, a Coke or something down the hall. So he left, and it was just me and this lady, like death, warmed over on this bed, not moving, totally unresponsive. And I... I was afraid to get too close. I think I touched her foot. <laughs> I was really powerful. Wow, what faith. It just glowed. Anyway, I prayed whatever prayer I prayed, but I did pray in the name of Jesus, and I had compassion for her. And I left. I thought, wow, that was a great beginning for my ministry. And the next day, I got a phone call. I didn't know who it was, and this lady said, I just want to call and say thank you. I said, thank you for what? She said, well, for praying for me yesterday. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I'm the lady you prayed for. I was in a diabetic coma, and after you prayed, I came out of it completely. I'm, they sent me home totally well. They don't know what happened. And God said to me, you know, I'm, I've never heard God's voice, but I knew he was speaking to me. He just really encouraged me, said, I did that in spite of you. <laughs> it wasn't your faith that did it, but I wanted to teach you, and I love that woman. And he raised her up from a deathbed. And that began my journey of faith. It was just the beginning to learn that he's the healer. I'm not. It's not my effort. It's not my moaning, groaning, shouting, rubbing people's heads till the skin falls off. It's not all that manipulation stuff that brings healing. He's the healer. But what triggers the healing is even 
a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny bit of faith. Trust Him. When all the facts are lined up against it, trust Him. He knows we're messed up, and He loves us anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen. James says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Everyone who has believed God for a major miracle and has seen it come to pass, would you stand just for a moment? If you've actually had that happen in your life, you believe God for a major miracle, now look around, you guys. This should encourage you. These are ordinary people like I'm ordinary. Remember my great step of faith? Wow. Okay, just look around and be encouraged. These are ordinary people believing for a super ordinary, supernatural move of God to do something. Now, if you're in a situation where you're believing for something bigger than you, whether it's physical healing, dealing with something you're frightened over, or overcoming something in your own physical body or even in your mental state. Some of you just carry tremendous pain inside. I want to encourage you. I'm not going to make you stand. But I do encourage you to respond here. When you want prayer and you want someone to believe with you and pray for you, remember the prayer of two or more touching any one thing, believing him, he'll show up. You guys can sit down for a minute, and I'm, I'm Pastor Devin's going to come. But I want to share this. These are things to remember. Um, you can write them down. They might encourage you. At some point, you have to jump to take the leap of faith. You can work your way up. You're, you're supposed to listen to the Word of God and hear about him. You're supposed to see the things he's done in your own life, remember those things, see what he's done in other people's lives. Be encouraged by that. Study the Scriptures. Show yourself approved. But at some point, you're going to have to go beyond that. You're going to have to take the leap of faith unto the unknown. That's what a lot of us fear is the unknown. God wants us as a people to be people of faith, to jump, to take the leap of faith into thin air, to step out on water when it's illogical to walk on water. That's what each of us is called to at our own level, in our own place. God knows us. He knows you by name. He knows your whole background. He knows the secret fears in the back of your brain. And He loves you, period. He accepts you, period. You don't have to show off for Him because He's not impressed anyway. He just loves you the way you are. But He is going to improve you and make you like Jesus. Sometimes you have to jump to take the leap of faith. You take action based on your conviction that His Word is true. In your decision to trust God in the face of the unknown, the ridiculed, the feared, and the illogical. Now, this one is good. All territory between the leap and the landing is supernatural and therefore somewhat illogical to the natural mind. Just to become a Christian, you have to take the point. Logic will take you. C.S. Lewis proved this powerfully. He's a masterful logician. And he logically went from atheist to deist 
to because he searched through Buddhism, uh, the, the entire uh, Eastern pantheon of religions, searching for truth. He searched through uh, all of the major religions in the history of the earth. He was a tremendous scholar and logically deduced, and it took him all the way up to the point of faith, and then he had to take the leap because logic can only take you up to that edge, and then you have to believe because the statements of Jesus are supernatural. Doubts are natural. Again, that's okay. They're going to come. You have to wrestle with them. It's what you do with it. If your prayer situation or need requires God's intervening touch, then it is beyond natural law, human ability, or reason. You need faith. Faith is the language that carries you from our realm to the heavenly realm. You have to learn how to speak the language of faith, something we do gradually, just like we do in real life, all right? You guys can stand. I want to encourage you. This is meant to encourage you. Take whatever faith you have and start using it. Exercise it. Allow him to do wonders. And I think you have something.